0: This episode of The Explainer is supported by Daft Advantage Ads. Selling a home is a huge financial decision, so make sure your property is on daft.ie, Ireland's number one property website.
1: Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what does Ireland being at the Women's World Cup mean to Irish football? the journey is over and the postmortem has well and truly begun. Ireland reached its very first FIFA Women's World Cup this year, travelling to host country Australia in the hopes of proving they belong on the greatest stage. In its ninth official iteration, the tournament is bigger than ever with 32 teams, over a million fans already through the turnstiles and record TV audiences across the world. But what will the legacy of Ireland being there be? Myself and The 42's Gav Cooney will be discussing exactly that today. I was fortunate enough to have made the trip to Sydney and Perth to cover the historic moment for the journal. And Gav has been back at base writing some brilliant analysis pieces on the football so far. And you can read them by subscribing to The 42. Thanks a million, Gav, for joining me. Let's kick this off with a bit of a history lesson. Can you tell our listeners how far this team has come in a short period of time?
0: Uh, massive massive strides made i mean the the first irish women's international was only played about 50 years ago uh, and it was only in 2017 that the irish the senior women's team took to Liberty Hall to effectively threaten strike action for uh, in return for better treatment from the FAI, the Football Association of Ireland. They weren't asking for a whole lot, to be honest. We, uh, we learned that uh, the players weren't paid the same appearance money as the men's um, international team were. They didn't even have their own tracksuits. They were changing out of uh, tracksuits intended for boys' teams in airport toilets and handing them back. They didn't have proper Wi-Fi in hotels when they went in away for away games and so forth. Um, and in the quite memorable words of, of, Shure of the Kilhuli uh, of the PFAI, the Players' Union, uh, that the team were treated like the dirt on the FAI's shoe. Uh, so fast forward six years uh, and the women's team are playing in front of 80,000 people uh, in Sydney in the opening game uh, of a Women's World Cup. It's a, It's a pretty heady journey that they've been on.
1: Yeah. And they kind of did look like they belonged a little bit there rather than, you know, I think back in 2017 was the first time a lot of people were introduced to these these women. And what was striking to me at the time and still is striking now is that they weren't asking for equality. They were asking for decency and respect. And Niamh he said that again in the documentary that was made uh, heading into the World Cup, that it was decency and respect that they were after. And Even on that pay issue, they were looking for quality pay, but that's stipend stuff. And it had an outsized impact on this squad. So in 2017, they were looking for things like, you know, Wi-Fi to be provided in hotels so that they could do their full time jobs when they were playing with Ireland. And now they, you know, they just wanted to get kind of loss of earnings um, and a little bit of uh, money in their pocket for playing with Ireland. So it didn't cost them. We were talking about whether they belong on the stage. Can you tell us the general quality or talent level on the team from a football analyst point of view?
0: From a football analyst point of view, there are 32 teams at this World Cup. Ireland would certainly be among the weaker, certainly among the weaker coming from coming from Europe. It is harder to qualify out of Europe just because the game is is more developed there than it is on other continents like in Africa and and in Central and Central America, perhaps even in South America. So Ireland would be, would have been going as one of the weaker European sides. I think they needed a more favourable draw if they were going to get out of the group stage and into the last 16 in the knockout phase. Unfortunately, they didn't get it. Uh, they ended up in, in a group with Australia, who are the co-hosts, Canada, who were the reigning Olympic champions, and Nigeria, who were the top-ranked side in Africa. Uh, Ireland ultimately finished bottom of their group with with one point, a, a goalless draw against Nigeria at the end, and one goal scored in the 2-1 defeat against Canada in the second game and that's broadly disappointing obviously like we would love to get, get carried away with the team and get carried away at the first women's world cup as we did with the men's team in, in Italian 90 but it would have been Ireland scarcely deserved more I think they performed pretty much to par with Ireland would have a couple of world class players Katie McCabe I think we saw her um, on the greatest stage of all prove that Denise Sullivan is a world class player as well though probably didn't see her at her best uh, and Kenny McKay plays with Arsenal at the top of the Women's Super League, which is, you know, the top of the game, of the women's domestic game at the moment. But otherwise, most of Ireland's players are littered lower down the WSL. Some of them have, like Nifahi, have been played in the, uh, playing in the second tier with Liverpool this season. Others are in America, and there's a couple of players um, from the League of Ireland, in Abby Larkin and Onio Gorman, both of whom are at Shamrock Rovers. The, the, top, the top teams. Would have far more players playing at the top clubs in the WSL, so that would be Chelsea, that would be Arsenal, um, Manchester United to to a certain extent. So, so Ireland would not be competing uh, at that that quite at that level.
1: Yeah. So the the team that's going out, we're playing. So say let's take the Australia game. And um, when we were going into that game, they are the co-hosts. They are you know very much a known entity, the Matildas. But even just personnel, like if if you're looking at like GA terminology, matchups, like was there any kind of parity between the Australian team and the Irish team on paper?
0: I don't think so. I think Australia were much stronger on paper, as you would expect them to be, to be honest, given their um, population, uh, popu- the vast population chasm between the two countries. Obviously, the star player is Sam Kerr, who plays at Chelsea. Uh, she was injured in a kind of a shocking turn of events that, and a bombshell that was dropped just before the game. But no, I, most of the a lot of the other Australian players are playing at the top level in England, and they just have more players at a higher level, to be honest. So I don't think that, um, you know, the game's not played on paper. Obviously, in Ireland, I would have tried to uh, have... Um, mitigated against their weaknesses as best they could by playing pretty defensively in an argument that I'm sure we'll get onto. Um, but realistically no, there's no, there's not a whole lot of comparison between the two sides, to be honest.
1: Yeah, and it, it did kind of change the result a little bit as well because we were playing a curlless Australia. So yeah, while we only lost one nil, there I think there probably was a feeling there was more there for the taking.
0: Yeah, that's probably, when Ireland are looking back over this World Cup, I think that's maybe the game about which they'll have most regrets. Australia, as we've said, are a better side than Ireland on paper, but they're obviously shorn sure of their best player. They didn't have long to, they only had 24 hours to adjust to that loss, which is enormous. That meant that, you know, Caitlin Ford, who plays at Arsenal, had she had to change her position and be slightly more attacking. And in came Mary Fowler, who's a very highly rated player who, who might actually have played for us once upon a time. Uh, her granddad's from Ballymun, but ultimately uh, decided to play with the Matildas. Um, and then she came into the team and didn't make a huge impact against Ireland. So that that's maybe where Ireland, in the end, will be a little bit frustrated that they went out and executed a game plan as if Sam Kerr was still playing. They were they were very defensive and they only really liberated themselves and began to chase the game after they went 1-0 behind early in the second half. Uh, and while Ireland didn't create too many chances, Australia didn't look very comfortable when they were put under pressure either. So maybe that's what you're thinking. Maybe... You know, Maybe had the Australia game come in a different order, had it been the second game and Ireland knew from a few days out that Kerr would not be playing, that Australia were under a bit of pressure playing in front of their home side, maybe you adapt a little bit more and say let's attack them a little bit more. Um, so maybe, look, maybe that's where there will be a few regrets for Ireland that they, didn't, uh, they weren't a little bit more bold in their approach in that first game against Australia.
1: Yeah, that's my sense of kind of looking back at what the coverage was at back at home um, when I was out in Australia, that there was a lot of people calling for Ireland to be more offensive, to be more attacking. And it's completely against Vera Powell's ethos with this team because she wants this team to be greater than the sum of its parts. Like you've just said, we have a lot of players who are playing, you know, not top tier football. So she's trying to make it all add up to more than it actually is Um, and to do that she says we have to play five at the back because we have slow defenders and we can't have one-on-ones and you know if we have five defenders obviously then we can't be as offensive do you think there was an understanding of that at home or like where did people's did they just see that last 20 minutes and go please go shackles off against canada
0: I think people have an appreciation of that while also wanting to reject it at the same time. I mean, we've have been having this argument about the Irish national team, began with a men's team, and we've been having it ever since Eamon Dunphy flung a pen across the Ortiz studios at Italia 90. We're, we're always wondering, could we not be a bit more attacking if only this stubborn manager wasn't holding us back? Um, We've been having this argument with the men's team for so long that you know Stephen Kenny was appointed partly on the idealism of where well, you know, we're, we'll play a more expansive attacking style of play. Now, I think he's had to negotiate that back a bit, given the relative lack of quality at his, at his disposal. And we're going to have it now with Vera Pau in the women's team, you know. I mean, she, is, she has firm ideas of how her team will play, and she's not going to bow to anyone in, in making sure the team executes that. And it's five at the back, and it's very defensive. And it's keep it tight and hopefully get a goal from a set piece, um, and given like Ireland qualifying for the World Cup is such an outrageous achievement if you think about it. If you think about the size of our country, uh, how we've not really invested in women's football at all as part. Of, we haven't invested in football really men's or women's in any proper sense and any m- money that has gone has gone disproportionately to to the men's game you'd have to say we've got a tough group qualifying group as well with Sweden and Finland in it Um, and it couldn't it can be argued that Viripa's defensive approach got us this far so it was the best it was the best way of keep on of playing at the World Cup but the problem is the more people see the team and the more they see uh, the quality of, of players like Katie McCabe you're thinking could we not have a bit more of a go here you know and that that's a fraught debate that will um that will I think that will 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 keep on having with this team just as we're having with the men's team.
1: Yeah, where did you fit the second and third games in then against Canada and, and Nigeria in terms of that flow? Were we still very defensive? Did you see a bit more from the Irish team than you expected?
0: definitely in the second game against Canada I think ultimately it's funny I mean that Ireland lost that game 2-1 Canada wasted some very clear cut chances in the second half if it was 3-1 or 4-1 you Couldn't really have argued with what happened, but it was also, in one sense, Ireland's best performance. That they were a lot more bold and attacking in the first half against Canada, and um, they took the lead very early with that Katie McCabe goal from a corner. That we're gonna have to all agree that she meant because we can't come home from our own from our first World Cup with one goal and said we didn't even mean to score that. She 100% uh, meant
1: it. I will go to my it. deathbed saying she <laughs> meant it herself and her uh, teammate Steph Catley. They definitely practice them in Ireland in Arsenal, hundred <laughs> uh, percent.
0: For sure, and it was uh, it was brilliantly executed. And Ireland, you know, they. they they rather than retreat and sit deep after going a goal up, which is what we've seen happen before um, and what many people would have anticipated, they kept attacking. They were really good. Canada were pretty poor in the first half, it has to be said. Um, and then, you know, it was just crippling for Ireland that they went in 1 all at half time because they deserved to be ahead at half time. Very unfortunate. Megan Connolly owned goals. So, you know, luck wasn't with them in the end of the first half. And then Canada made a triple sub at half time and they took over. You know, they went 2 1 ahead. um shortly after half time, And then Ireland, you know, for those who say that Ireland should be more attacking, they should abandon Vera Powell's defensive strategy. I think sh- her strategy was somewhat vindicated in the second half because Ireland just didn't have that level of individual attacking quality to really hurt Canada outside of McCabe. Like, it was rather the Rover stuff for McCabe in the second half. But one of the reasons why it all fell upon her is that, you know, in truth, she is much better than the other attacking talent around her so and then the third game um, the real deflating thing about the whole World Cup is that Ireland were officially out after two games um, so there was no way in which they could qualify um, even if they beat Nigeria in the third game so that kind of took a lot of the energy out of the whole thing really didn't it and you know they took a nil-nil draw Virapau was certainly happy with that I think Nigeria were happy with it as well because the draw definitely put them through, so it kind of fizzled out at the end. So um, I don't know how much you can read into strategy really in the third game, given the, given the context that Ireland were out and Nigeria were pretty much through, um, certainly uh, when it came through that Australia were going to win that, their final game against Canada.
1: Yeah, I think the players after the second game were really intent on it not being a dead rubber. They really, you know, wanted to play for pride, wanted to, you know, get, I think, really wanted to get a second goal. So they weren't just leaving the competition with one goal. And But I think it, no matter what you say in your head, if it doesn't matter, sometimes the, the feet and the brain just don't. Don't work together.
0: For sure. And the other thing that was notable about the Nigeria game is we finally saw the best or something approaching the best of Denise O'Sullivan. I mean, that was, I think, the, one of the great disappointments from the first two games for Ireland, from my, my opinion anyway, was just that we didn't see O'Sullivan at her best. Now, maybe it was partly a legacy of the injury that she picked up in a behind-closed-doors friendly against Colombia a week before the tournament began, a few days after Ireland landed in, in Brisbane. Um, I'm sure everyone is aware of the story, but but just in case that seemingly Colombia were a lot more physical than Ireland uh, had planned for, uh, and after O'Sullivan was, uh, took a very hefty knock to her shin and had to be taken to hospital for a scan on it, Vera Pau abandoned the game, saying that she saw fear in the eyes of her players, which is very kind of curious... Uh, a curious incident before the World Cup started and, and thankfully O'Sullivan was fit to start those first two games but was bypassed really I, I, and it seems that maybe it was less an issue of, of physicality than it was one of tactics and strategy because she was played in a more advanced position almost as, as a number 10 um, just behind the Irish striker Kira Caruza against Nigeria and certainly in the first half she just got on the ball a lot more um, and was more influential and you could see how good her touch is and how skillful and talented she is in, in tight areas when she's put on Under a lot of pressure by the opposition whereas most of Irish ireland's players with no disrespect to them would just lose the ball in those situations because their skill level isn't as high and after after the game janice O'Sullivan sullivan said she had a ball in that third game and i i did wonder in what way did she mean that phrase um metaphorically or literally because she just got on the got uh, 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 got in possession just so much more in that third game thinking of selling Choose a Daft Advantage ad to guarantee unbeatable visibility, attract more buyers and get the best price for your home. Ask your estate agent for a Daft Advantage ad today.
1: We've talked a lot about Katie and the question that I have been asked more than anything else since returning from Australia is what is happening with Katie and Vera?
0: Yeah, there seems to be there seems to be tension there, really. And it's come to the surface now. So, I mean, so this happened in the, in the final game with about 20 minutes to go. Uh, Katie McCabe came over to Vera Powell in the sideline uh, and asked for substitutions to be made that she wanted fresh legs on the pitch. Uh, Vera, we saw her make very early substitutions in the second game against Canada. One at half time and another two, I think, right on the hour mark. But 70 odd minutes in against uh, Nigeria, she hadn't made any. Katie wanted fresh legs around her. Uh, as we learned subsequently, she wanted Sinead Farrelly taken off apparently. Now, is that a personal thing against Farrelly? I, I don't think so. In fairness to, to Katie, uh, Farrelly's job was to kind of cover in behind Katie when she went forward down the left flank against Nigeria so maybe she just wanted you know more energy there to allow um, her to continue attacking so she said that to she requested that (laughs) in rather blunt terms it seems during the match Vera Pau said no as you know is the prerogative of the manager and then but the incident didn't escape the attention of the Irish journalists that were there Uh, Vera Pau was asked about it at her her post-match press conference and she explained that yeah Katie wanted to um Wanted to make a change. Wanted fresh legs down her side. Uh, then uh, subsequently revealed that it was Farrelly that she wanted off, and uh, and Vera said, "Look, it's fine to ask these questions, um, but she's not the coach. I'm the coach, and that's why uh, I didn't uh, I didn't uh, agree. I didn't give in uh, into that request. So this obviously was was live tweeted, and the articles were put up pretty quickly. Uh, and then Katie McCabe wasn't asked about it in the stadium for whatever reason as she left through the mix zone, um, but Katie then tweeted not very cryptically uh, an emoji of of the of a zipped up mouth as in as in I prefer not to speak so that's certainly um, in isolation you think well what well, that's probably no big deal but it's part of a broader context of that there does seem to be certainly a lack of warmth between the players certain certainly some players and the manager Vera Pau um, probably the obvious Lightning rod for all of this was uh, the day before Ireland's final game in Dublin before the World Cup. They played France in Tallah Stadium and they did the pre-match press conference. Uh, Vera Powell's uh, presser was completely dominated by questions uh, raised uh, in an article published by The Athletic as regards her uh, behaviour and her interaction with certain players um, during her time coaching in America. Um, And at the end, Katie McKay rather uh, sarcastically uh, left on the note by saying, like, I was great to talk about the World Cup with you uh, when there had hardly been a World Cup question. Um, and, you know, Kate, Katie was asked to basically back her manager and, you know, said all the right things without really giving it too much warmth or too much conviction.
1: Yeah, there was uh, the, the one thing that was absent throughout the tournament was any of the players really talking about Vera's achievements in getting them there. Or, you know, you would often hear of like, you know, say the English team, and they did win the Euros, but you would hear how warmly they they talk about their manager, Vigman, uh, and, you know, they're coming off the back probably of managers before who weren't that good. But, you know, there is no chat about Vera at all. Of like, well, you know, Vera is the reason we're here or Vera has, you know, pulled the best out of us or, you know, they, they kind of don't give her any credit and there's very little warmth. So in a situation where she, her contract is up, that feels telling, doesn't it?
0: Massively. Now, Partly the players are partly being put in an invidious position about this because the FAI have not said anything like there have been FAI figures the CEO and the director of football have been out of the World Cup but they haven't commented on the record to journalists as regards is Vera Pout going to stay on or not because her contract as you say is up and with nothing riding on the final game that kind of left a vacuum and the vacuum will always be filled by some content and, uh, and conversation and sometimes conjecture. And ultimately it was filled by talk about Vera Powell's future. So the players are the people to whom the journalists have had access at at press conferences and so forth. So that's dominated. Should Vera stay on? Do you want to see Vera stay on, etc.? And they, there have been no kind of full throated appeals to the FEI. Absolutely. She got us here. She's the right person to lead us forward. And, You know, it's a a sharp contrast with what's been happening with the men's team. Stephen Kenny has been seemingly permanently under siege since he took over. Results have not been great. Um, And generally after a poor result, and there have been many, we ask the players... Like is is the management team right to stay on? Do you need to see a change? Like, do you still support them? And they've every one, every single one of them have been said absolutely. The manager is great. We need to look at ourselves as players, etc. So, you know, you can read between the lines, and often what is more more consequential than what is said is is what's not said. And I think uh, those reading into the player the comments by the Irish women's team as regards their kind of coolness on Vera Pau's future, um, I think they're they're fair to do so.
1: Off the pitch then rather than on it what do you think will be the greatest takeaway for this team and irish football
0: that it's possible that if you're a young girl playing uh, growing up in ireland you can play football and go to a world cup i mean that in fairness like while we what we'll get we'll get lost now in the kind of the intrigue and the drama and the personalities between pow and mccabe and what's going to happen with the manager and you know could we play better the world cup etc like that broader that broader fact can't be denied, and it should be celebrated, to be honest, um, because you know it's not nice I, I remember talking to Ni Fahi before the World Cup and she said, yeah, it's a dream to be going, even if it wasn't even a dream. like it was completely inconceivable that a girl growing up in Ireland could go and play a World Cup because the the there no one had done it before. It was technically, I mean, at least I watched Ireland at the men's World Cup in o two, and I could at least think, well, it is possible for me to go. It's not likely now, uh, but it is definitely possible. Whereas the same um, example wasn't there for, for young girls. So that, that, is, that, is the main, that has to be the main legacy uh, of this World Cup. And it's now down to the FAI and the government probably to make sure that, that every girl w- that wants to play football in Ireland is given the opportunity and given the dignity of good uh, facilities uh, an opportunity to do that.
1: What can the FAI do to maintain that momentum?
0: um get money out of the government really to be honest um they have like i mean everyone well pretty much i think it's it's no secret across the country that the facilities at grassroots football in Ireland are not really fit for purpose, to be quite honest. The FBI earlier this year published an infrastructure plan in which they said, look, we're going to need 890 million euro over the next 15 years to bring our facilities uh, up to scratch. Uh, the bulk of that uh, is for grassroots f- facilities. I mean, at the moment, there are 38% of grassroots clubs in Ireland do not have changing facilities for girls which is, you know, which is unacceptable. And that is the kind of thing that turns girls away from playing football. So those um, issues have to be addressed. Um, and that is a slow and painstaking process, unfortunately. Um, so the FAI probably need to keep this issue front and centre. They got plenty of political attention in going to a World Cup. So now they have basically have to keep the politicians honest um, and they have to continue offering as many opportunities to girls uh, as is possible.
1: That Fahi Fahey chat is interesting because she obviously didn't dream of going to a world cup because it wasn't conceivable she was playing ladies football and soccer at the same time and she won a all-ireland with Galway when she was only 16 so they were probably her dreams but also she was probably being treated better even though obviously there are problems with ladies football and access to facilities in GA etc but it was probably still light and day to what she was seeing in football
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, that's. I mean, one of the one of the more difficult aspects is keeping girls involved in sport more broadly, uh, and you know, it's it is easier. It's probably easier to do it in Gaelic football just because the facilities are there. There's more teams to play on. You you don't have to travel as far for um, games as well. Like I mean, the like the one thread that kind of combines all this Irish team, even if they're born um in england like say lily ag was is that they played with boys up until under 12 or under 13 or when they um whenever they were had to be they were stipulated to go and play on a girls team and all of a sudden then they could you know trot five minutes down the road to go play with their girl the the boys team but finding a girls team in some locations meant you know drives of of half an hour or more and that you know when you're when you're that's half an hour each way getting your parents to drive you at that young age like i mean that's that has an effect of kind of forcing girls away from the game. It just becomes too difficult. Whereas that's probably less of an issue around GAA clubs locally. So, I mean, these are all like massive pieces of work for the FAI to develop and develop hand in glove with the government because they'll need state money to do so. And it's an enormous job of work. And the great worry now is that Ireland went to the Men's World Cup in Italia 90 and didn't have the infrastructure and didn't have the opportunity uh, to make the most and profit the most from the extent to which they popularized the sport around the country. And the great worry now is that we're just going to repeat the cycle.
1: Yeah, it's the repeating the mistakes of the past. And instead of allowing those girls to dream, you're just allowing them to dream and then crushing them in the same way that we probably have crushed some of the boys dreams over the, the decades
0: yeah. And and like I mean, if you're if you're a boy growing up watching the two thousand and two World Cup, you're thinking, Yes, I can go and play, um I can go and, and play for Ireland at the World Cup you'd also have to realize that I'll have to move away from home at the age of 16 to do that I mean the domestic league the men's domestic league here at that time was not developed in such a way that you could have a viable living really here maybe you could have a viable living but certainly not one which would keep you allow you to fulfill all of your ambitions in terms of representing Ireland and like if we're being honest, the women's league here is, you know, is in an even worse state than the men's league was back in two thousand and two. Um, there were two League of Ireland players in this squad, and they both played an Onya Gorman, who's at the end of her career, and then Abby Larkin, who looks like a terrific talent. Is only eighteen, is at Shamrock Rovers, but realistically, and it's not necessarily the fault of Shamrock Rovers, she's going to have to go to England. She would have to go to England pretty soon um, at the expense of her education to go and fulfill her ambitions. So, um, and look, for every, in the, I, I would kind of study this from the men's side, for every player that makes it, there's 100 who don't. And it's just chewed up in the system and come back to Ireland disillusioned with no, with, with the lack of education and, you know, thwarted and diminished prospects for the rest of their lives. So, like, that's, that, that, that cycle repeating itself is obviously a worry as well.
1: Did you ever think you'd see Ireland get behind a women's football team like they have? Or what was it like at home? Was it less than you thought, more than you thought? It's definitely more than we could have ever envisioned four years ago, but say going into it, what did you think?
0: Yeah, I think, I broadly think that I did get that kind of World Cup fever ish um, coming into the last couple of days, just before um kickoff and uh, Ireland kicked off. What was it at the th- last Thursday week? Maybe the beginning of that Tuesday Wednesday. I thought, okay, now we're, we're at a World Cup. It did take its time, and you've kind of spoken eloquently before about you know the lack of you know, backing from the corporate world and the commercial world in the sense that there was a real dearth of, um, you know, even like to buy bunting in supermarkets and so forth and so hard to get um, like kids' jerseys with Sky on the front and, you know, O'Sullivan or McCabe on the back. So that was that was a massive missed opportunity. I mean, I'm in my own little bubble in the sense of, you know, obsessing about these things. So I felt kind of, there was lots of, uh, certainly the media coverage, I think there was nothing really wanting there. Um, the the TV the TV coverage for the the or sorry the TV viewers uh, viewership for the matches was very very strong, broadly. So I think yeah I I think the I think the country did back the team. I have to say we do love a bandwagon, and I think the disappointment is the bandwagon didn't take off like you wondered, it might have. You know, just the just the disappointment of it all being over mathematically after the first two games was very disappointing. Um. And so I think I think maybe there's yeah there's that element like had Ireland been in a handier group you know like Group A like Norway the Philippines New Zealand poor sides like Norway Norway poor sides we could have topped that group ah oh, <laughs> Norway is such a poor side and they got out of that group you know so had Ireland been in there we you know I think we might have had a good chance of getting out and then you know it builds that momentum and then all of a sudden the bandwagon really takes off so so that's the disappointment of it but. You know, walking around Dublin, you know, you've seen Katie McCabe and co on billboards everywhere. I remember talking to, we did, uh, lucky enough to interview Rashida Adelecki last week and she was talking about how she, how, how taken she was by seeing all these billboards around town uh, and just the, all of the support that went toward the team. So uh, I think there were definitely like the commercial corporate side of things definitely um, meant that we weren't, uh, weren't as decked out in, in green, white and gold as, as we could have been. Um, but broadly I think yeah that there there was a good swell of support for the team and now if we're down to criticising the manager over her tactics and defensive style of play I think that's the ultimate backing that anyone can get from the Irish public is by being told they're too defensive
1: that that's my brain at the moment just so confused about how I think about all of this at the moment because in some ways it's so frustrating for somebody like me who's been talking about this team and talking about you know, the importance of uh, women in sport and our place in society through that lens. Um, and some part of me is really frustrated that we're actually being sidetracked away from that because of, you know, spats between the captain and the manager. But then other parts of me, are like, no, this is, what you wanted this is the the equity of treatment <laughs> that you wanted like this is the stuff that journalists ask the men's team about this is the stuff that people get head up about in the pub or you know like i said i've got so many whatsapps from people asking like what's the deal with vera and katie and so maybe this is what i've been asking for this whole time like it's not about the purity of the football
0: no i'm afraid uh, afraid we lost that a long time ago this is the stuff that we've always obsessed about really haven't we like i mean it's the old like uh the Oscar Wilde line is just like personalities rather than principles move the age and we've always we've always obsessed about personalities and clashes and so forth it's partly a way of how the media works i think you know we've never you know, in, you know, in continental Europe, go to your, go to Spain um, or Italy, go to a newsstand and you can pick up newspapers that are sport only, that are 36 pages. So obviously there's a, there's a knowledge out there. There's a massive appetite uh, for in-depth sporting, uh, for, for like, there's an in-depth sporting audience out there that can sell sport just by itself. Whereas in Ireland and the UK, it's always been sold on the back page of a newspaper that's had news on the front. And then obviously you need, kind of, you need something pithy that screams out from the back page. And that's always been personalities and like um, get, getting in fights with someone or it's always been centered around the kind of hire and fire cycle of managers and so forth. So I think that's part of the reason why there's so much sporting chat descends into clashes of personality and so forth. Obviously we holiday from all reason uh, in Saipan in 'O two. I feel some of the lessons have been learned since that we managed to get the captain on the pitch at this world cup which is obviously a massive <laughs> uh, massive progress but it's true like i mean mccabe the mccabe veer thing that was on the front page of all the newspapers yesterday i think i didn't listen but i've been told it popped up on live line uh yesterday which is always, <laughs> it's always a worrying sign um but yeah sadly this is always how we've always often how we've managed to interact with our sport
1: the tournament goes on Gav, um, I was sneakily watching uh, South Africa uh, and Italy. There, a good three-two. Amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. So the best football is still to come. I think is probably the main message to get across in something like this. You know, we're we're going into the the round of sixteen and then into quarters and semis. Um, what's your expectations? What people? What should people look out for?
0: Yeah, it's been a. I found the tournament a bit of a slow burn. Obviously, we've had the distraction, the happy distraction of Ireland, but the group stages as a whole. I've taken a little bit of while to take off which is not unusual. I think there's been some brilliant games in the in the final round of the group of the group stage. That South Africa Italy game in particular was was absolutely amazing and South Africa have now qualified for the last 16 for the first time. Um I do think that it's time to be concerned as a nation because it looks like England might win this. Uh again they they weren't they were quite unimpressive in the first game against um was it Haiti? they were like bloody hell they could have they could have drawn that match uh, and they've looked very, very good since. Uh, Lauren James, whose brother Reese plays for Chelsea's men's team, she is a sensational footballer, was denied by uh, a VA or one of the best World Cup hat-tricks you're ever likely to see against China in in their last group stage. So, they also look to be on a slightly easier side of the draw. So, I, there's kind of a gathering momentum, and I would say a, a gathering ominous sign about England that they might actually go and do this. Um, the other kind of teams to watch are, you know, the USA, who are kind of are they back-to-back World Cup champions? They really they were so lucky to get out of the group. They drew in the final game day with Portugal, and they were the width of a post away from going out. So they don't look the imperious side that they have of old. So um, they're in a collision course with Japan in the quarterfinals. Japan have been one of the top teams of the group stages so far, hammered Spain, you know, a really good Spain team, in the last round of the group, so, that side, of the, that kind of potential matchup, if the USA can get by Sweden, in the last 16, will be great, um, and otherwise, yeah, there's, yeah, it's just a gathering, I'm just quite concerned now, about the England thing, that they might actually, that they might actually go and do this, they have Nigeria in the last 16, Um there there is a certain confidence breeding over the water, I have to say. I was just flicked on Sky News last night and they were saying, Here's England's path to the path to the final. I don't think they threw in the conditional sense once. Um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, and then it will be fascinating as well to see Australia have Denmark in the last 16. We probably, we didn't see the best of Australia against Ireland. They obviously hammered Canada then in the final game. And you just hope that Sam Kerr is fit now um, and fit to play a part against Denmark. So they're obviously optimistic that she will be if she made the bench for the previous game. So so, that, so that's one to watch out for as well. Um, I think Japan will beat Norway in the last 16. So it, by the time the quarterfinals come, uh It'll, it'll be outstanding there'll be no more three 3am 3 kickoffs um but I think based on the group stages you'd have to see England look a little bit further ahead of everyone else yeah
1: and to pull the thread of the Irish team as well so Nigeria obviously through they they play England so we'll be able to you know very much see the what what happens there but also Columbia were a part of our narrative and they've been fantastic too. And they have this 18 year old superstar who has her own personal story as well. Like three years ago, recovered from ovarian cancer. She's only 18 and has scored two goals and um, might be more by the time this podcast is published. Um, so yeah, there's still a couple of Irish angles that we can continue to to follow over the next few days if people need a little bit more of encouragement to to keep with the tournament.
0: Yeah I mean Colombia Whatever happened In that behind closed doors Friendly We're not fully au fait with I feel bad for criticising them now I, I fully forgive them They beat Germany uh, In their second group game 2-1 In what's probably been The game of the tournament so far Um, And the aforementioned Caecilio scored What is definitely The goal of the tournament so far uh, An outrageous effort So yeah Like I mean Germany had won Their opening game 6-0 I, I think So Um, yeah they, They've been they Colombia have been sensational So you'd imagine That they will be through To the knockout stages yeah, and they will definitely be a team to watch. And just the other very trend, very quickly, Sinead, that we've seen from, from this uh, World Cup so far is that there's definitely been a, been a kind of a closing of the gap between the lower-ranked sides and the best sides. You're like, you saw some very one-sided games at the last World Cup and uh, even in the Euros. But that... Ha- have, we've seen fewer of those at this World Cup than I think we probably expected. Like, okay, Norway hammered the Philippines 6-0. There was a 7-0 in there that um, Netherlands against Vietnam. And obviously england hammer china 6-1 but broadly teams have been very very competitive which just goes to show the potential there is for growth in all these countries uh if they get the investment and that investment should follow hopefully uh, from exposure on the world stage
1: and it means we really can't be left behind because yeah we'd we'd be falling down the ranks very quickly thanks so much gav i've just been told by our producer that there are no more questions to be asked (laughs) (laughs) i would sit here and talk all day about this thanks so much for joining us on the explainer and we'll talk to you soon
0: cheers This episode of The Explainer was supported by Daft Advantage Ads, the best way to sell your home in Ireland. Looking to get the best price for your home? Ask your estate agent for a Daft Advantage ad today.
1: Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a huge thank you to Gav for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us so we can continue to make more just like this one. There's a couple of things you can do. Head to the journal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber or make a one off donation. You can also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a great way to make sure other people will listen and love it as well. Thank you and catch you next time.